This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by The Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear Richard Marks on the stereo. So when you're in the Chicago area and you're looking for that authentic arcade experience, head over to The Underground Retrocade, because you might be good at these games at home on MAME, but it don't mean nothing until you've played them in a real arcade, like The Underground Retrocade, at 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm Mike McGinnis. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. See how short that was, Mike? How easy that was? You know, it sounds easy until I try it, and then the words just keep come tumbling out, and I can't, I can't stop. Oh, the tumblers. And I have to breathe, and then I have to <laughs> If you have to take a breath, you've done enough. I either run out of steam or pass out, you know. One of the, one of the two, one of right. the two. So how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Excellent. Have you been playing video games? I've been playing a lot of video games, and especially this this game that we're going to be talking about today, because I love it. Ooh, that's a hint. No, I don't think it's pretty, so. It's, pre- it's a pretty good hint <laughs> about, <laughs> about your review. Well, well, then I'm then I'm going to hate it. Just you okay. know, for for to be different. Yeah, that's fine. Um, shall we talk feedback? Shall uh, we jump right in and do the feedbacky thing? Well, let's yeah, let's do some, some feedback. Okay, we got a bunch this week. Um, Jessica wrote in to say, I enjoyed your bubble bobble episode. I liked the game more than you guys seem to, but that might be because I played it a lot back in the golden days. So I have a lot of nostalgia for the game. The song never bothered me back then either. Quite the opposite. It was catchy, fun, and cut through the noise of the arcade so you could really get immersed in your own game. I enjoyed all the many versions of the Bubble Bobble songs you played during the last show. Oh, sorry, played in the last show, especially the Bubble Murder, Bubble Murder one. But none of them are as in your face as this Bubble Bobble Extreme video. And she sent us a a link, yes, to Bubble Bobble Extreme, which is kind of like... A, a sped up version of Bubble Bobble on speed with uh, a crazy thrashy song playing. Um, on the bottom it says the song is uh, First Contact to Planet Q by a band called Melt Banana. I have not heard of Melt Banana before. Mike, do you know Melt Banana? Are all the kids into that nowadays? Well, we like to melt bananas, but I don't think I've <laughs> do heard we? of the, the group. Well, is that a thing I you do. do down there? Sure, yeah. You. Something to do to pass the time when, when, I'm, when you're talking and I'm bored. <laughs> I'm melting bananas right now. <laughs> You've already looked it up. I looked them up. They they are a um a noise rock band. Uh and though I was I was actually pretty into the heavy stuff back in the eighties, like the punk things. It's not a coincidence that my webcomic was movie punks, but I was never really a fan of grindcore stuff or its offshoots. I think I was too wimpy for that, I would say. What about you, Mike? What is, what is your uh, stance on grindcore? Yes or no? Everything that came after the music that I liked when I was a youth. Sucks. <laughs> is, that, is that like a rule? <laughs> I think that's how that works. Yeah. No, I, um, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm some music I can handle for two or three minutes, like grindcore, and some I can handle for longer. So it's, uh, this is such a cliche to say, but 
Um, I don't think there's a whole lot of music out there that I just outright hate. There's some that I don't really understand, and but I get that other people are into it, and I try not to try not to make too much fun of them, at least with within hearing range. Um, but yeah, I'm not really a grindcore fan. I'm too old. Old, honestly, I am too old for grindcore. Oh, first of all, two or three minutes. I can't even imagine a grindcore song lasting that long. I it would melt my face. That's like, like three albums, yeah. yeah, totally. Um, but it's just the dissonant stuff, the crazy, like the anger. I I love it. Bring it. Um, but I need a little a little hint of pop in my music, like a little a little catchiness, a little well, rhythm, a little somebody's taking some lessons. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. At least young young me, me I, is just I, shaking you know, his head. Ugh. <laughs> for me, the the anger and the I don't need a whole lot of pop in, in that one. I'm trying to get, get my rage on. Uh, you know, I can crank up some some uh, Meat Puppets or um, Black Flag or... See, Black Flag, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Insert, well, <laughs> insert early, you know, early 80s, late 70s punk band. The, the problem with Black Flag, welcome to the Black Flag podcast, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> is that... Yeah, this really got derailed from, <laughs> from Arcadia's pretty quickly. <laughs> well, is that most of the music, at least that I have of theirs, is stuff that was recorded... Um, live because their their show stuff is so much better than than what's on the albums but it was all recorded on these crappy little two track you know handheld re- mm. recorders on cassette and so it just sounds awful and, and not because it's punk but the, the sound quality is just really really bad and so it's it's hard to to enjoy much of that and un- unfortunately a lot of the punk bands from that period suffer the music today suffers from from that same i guess affliction if you want to call it that where it was you know the the music is is loud and it's fun and it's energetic, but because, you know, because it was recorded on somebody's Memorex 120 minute tape at, at uh, low speed or whatever, it just sounds terrible now. Kids today. How dare they? And, and their jazz, <laughs> their bebop. Their jazz and their cassettes and their <laughs> four wheeled vehicles that you call cars or whatever. Yeah, man. Um, Anyway, Jessica also wrote in bottom half of her email. Let's get back to the email. She says, or if you want a calmer version of the Bubble Bobble experience, you could check out this Bubble Bobble pinball game. It's a virtual pin played on the future pinball virtual reality pinball a virtual pinball simulator. I threw in the word reality for some reason. Nothing real about pinball. Um, I had not heard of future pinball before, but I have now read about it. And Bubble Bobble is indeed one of those. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> so no. I will. Links will be in the linky place. You throwing virtual reality into that sentence though got me thinking about how cool it would be to be to to have like an Oculus Rift pinball game where you're actually like you're the ball man. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> it'd be very cool. Um, so thank you for the feedback, Jessica. David wrote in to say, "Great show as always." You didn't mention them on your show, but did you know there are now Bub and Bob plushies? They make sound effects. Oh, sorry. And they make sound effects, you know. And you sent us them, right? Like dog toys do. No. (laughs) First of all, I wasn't sure what plushies meant at first. I was like, do I want to click on this link? (laughs) That's furries that you need to avoid those links. stuffed animals. So it's not as scary (laughs) as I was worried it might be. Um, So there are indeed Bub and Bob stuffed animals. And like he says, like dog toys, if you squeeze them, they make noises. I think they're talking, but it's in Japanese, so I can't really be sure what they're saying. (laughs) So he sent us a link to a video that kind of is reviewing them so it's kind of cool nice. really not even reviewing them kind of just showing them so you can take a look at them he did not on the other hand actually send us any of these uh, he does say I like it when you talk about a game I've actually heard of but don't shy away from the obscure stinkers those are some of your mm. best episodes <laughs> thank you David I like them too I'll try uh, to not, take that. not the games but yeah 
Uh, Roger wrote in to say, I really liked all the Bubble Bobble songs you played in that last episode. The country one at the end was particularly funny and had me tapping along in my car. Yeehaw. I don't know if you play Minecraft, but it is a rule of the internet that if it exists, it has been built in Minecraft. Here, for instance, are Bub and Bob sprites made in Minecraft, and he sent us a link to those. And he also says, also, you can add to your collection of Bubble Bobble music this impressive rendition of the Bubble theme played using Minecraft note blocks. And he sent us a link to that video as well. So thank you so much. I looked at both of them. Uh, I'm impressed by the stuff people do in Minecraft, but I've never actually done it myself. And I wasn't sure what a note block was, but it seems to be a block that plays a note. I was able to figure it out from context. (laughs) So if you watch the video, you can see, like, basically it's like a giant landscape, and the landscape is filled with blocks, and the blocks want to sing the Bubble Bobble theme to you. Minecraft is a strange game, man. Um, Oh, on the bottom of his email, he says, as for scores, I was pretty sure neither of you did that well, but then I played the game this morning and I got the level 45 on my first game. So it turns out I was right. Neither of you did that good, (laughs) but that's okay. I listened for the fun and the game info, not the scores. Uh, Thank you, Roger. (laughs) So I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, Ben wrote in to just send us a link, one of those special little linky emails with no context. Um, I appreciate them anyway, because I always want to have stuff to throw in the show notes. And so he sent us a link to a Bubble Bobble poster over on a site called Redbubble. And it is indeed a poster, not a really big one. It's kind of like a a sheet of paper. Honestly, it looks like letter sized paper, but it's still kind of cool. And it's got like a black background, it'll star things. And then all the characters from Bubble Bobble lined up on it. So if you're really into Bubble Bobble and you want a really tiny little poster, then I'll have a link in the show notes where you can check it out. What else did we get? Lots of little email this week. Uh, Monty, friend of the show, Monty wrote in to say, last October, I got together with a bunch of my middle-aged friends for Retro Game Day. We Ooh. grew up with Raston. Uh, it was a staple at our favorite pizzeria, P- uh, Peter Piper Pizza. After much discussion uh, as how to pronounce Raston, we came to the conclusion that since it's a Conan the Barbarian clone, the name was riffing off Conan and, the ga- and the, therefore must rhyme with it. Conan, rest. Uh, I love that there are now at least three episodes that have addressed this important issue in gaming history. <laughs> Let's keep it going. Other people should write in with their own. Now ideas. there's four. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, speaking of friends of the show, Field Marshal Tenpence <laughs> wrote in. Oh that's goodness. Victor from our buddies over at the Tenpence Arcade. Um, he wrote, Loved the Bub Bob episode. Shame Mike wasn't too pleased with Bubble Bobble, though. If you, want to, if you want different levels for the game, Google Bubble Bobble Lost Cave. This is another 100 levels from different versions programmed to run on arcade hardware. I think the NES has a version, too. I have a friend who used to be the Twin Galaxies world record holder for Bubble Bobble. Ollie Cotton, who was also the Rainbow Islands world record holder at 1.2. That is super impressive. And he says, uh, still love the podcast after all these years. Oh, Victor, right back at you. Um, that's actually impressive that somebody would be a double world record holder. I guess a lot of people are. It seems to be like the people who hold world records have a bunch of them. And then there's the yeah. rest of us who have. Yeah, I was, was going to say that's, yeah, there's, there's, uh, if you watch some of those documentaries, especially, they didn't really address it that much in King of Kong, but in some of these other ones, you know, like Todd Rogers, I don't know if he still does, but at one point he held like 30 or 40 world records and, you know, it's, it's Which was itself a world record. <laughs> yeah. The majority of scores is, is held by the, the wealthy one, 1% or at least the, the 1% of 
people who put the time and effort and are really good at the games. I know Billy Mitchell, you know, he's known for King of Kong and the perfect Pac-Man game, but he held a bunch of world records. And, and um, so that seems to be sort of a, a thing to do when you get one is then to go get another one in something else. The perfect Pac-Man game. Yep. I will never have one of those. <laughs> Not I even if I cheated. Close. I don't think I'd, I could, I don't think I'd want to play a game that long even. So I hope, I hope that's what holds me back. That's the only reason I've never gotten that good at these games. Although it, clearly I'm still using words like gotten, but okay. Well, because you can only, because it's 256 or 255 levels and you can only get a maximum, there is a maximum number of points that you can get in Pac-Man. It's now become speed runs and who can do the perfect game in the fastest amount of time. Because a bunch of people now have done perfect games. It's two hours or one hour or something, something ridiculous like that. I don't have a table in front of me, but that's become the new challenge with Pac-Man. It's how quickly you can do a perfect game. That's just... Crazy man. That's crazy he, talk. Crazy. That's just crazy talk. Um, lots of people wrote in to recommend that we attend the Portland Gaming, uh, Portland Retro Gaming Expo that we had talked about last week. I think, in fact, speaking of fellow podcasters, uh, Rob from Player Missile wrote in mostly to like to recommend that we attend, but also I think to test your no ban pledge. <laughs> so, um, is it okay yeah, I, that I brought up his name? <laughs> Yeah, I, I got a little twitchy when when uh, our ten pence friends started talking. You know, the, the twitchy eye that that Mo the bartender gets when, when he worked at that kid's restaurant for a while, but uh, I resisted, and uh, I'll resist here too. Go ahead, Rob. Oh, well, I'm not going to read it though. I just oh. want to bring it up. <laughs> You're only going to read it if it pushed me it's, over the edge. <laughs> it's like a, I would, well, we might get there's there's actually one I want to read. The testing your just you know, everyone. It's even better. We'll get to that one. But first, let's stay on the subject of the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. See, look, I can even pronounce it now because also speaking of fellow podcasters and speaking of people that you've probably banned. I don't know. Your, <laughs> no one is banned. There will be your no more fellow podcaster and other co-host you cheat on me with Quinn <laughs> went to um, another gaming expo thing, an arcade expo. And she has like a field report for us. Are we going to hear that now? Why not? Hello, Quinn. Hello, Carrington and Mike. How are you guys doing? We are fantastic. I'm going to answer for him. We are fantastic. Awesome. The, the royal we. <laughs> we uh, I'm waving. I'm waving as I say that. God, God save the me. <laughs> so we were just discussing how you went to an arcade expo. And I may not have mentioned it on the air yet, but I'm quite jealous of that. I did, yeah. It, uh, so I went to the arcade expo in Banning, California this past weekend. I wanted to go to there once I knew about it after the fact. It, it was amazing. I found out about it fairly shortly before they put it on, and it was incredible. It was their first time doing it. I don't want to say year, because I think they're planning to do it more often than once a year. But yeah, it was just amazing. I was quite blown away by how much fun it was. You sent me a photo, and it made me just ache with jealousy because it was a panorama, and it was just arcades, wall-to-wall, so many, so many arcade cabinets. Do you have any idea how many machines were there? Yeah, in fact, that was one of their main selling points, and what ultimately got me to drive all the way out there was 750 arcade and pinball machines on free play. That's a lot. It was a lot. It was hard to take in. I took uh, panoramic photos of each room. There was a pinball room and an arcade room, and there was just, you couldn't get even half of the games in a single photo. It was just incredible. Now, describe each and every one of those games. 
In All order right. left to right. <laughs> All right, starting with the A's. Uh, no, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I can kind of run down some of the pros and cons, I guess, of the event. Uh, cool. You know, it was their first time, so I think they, I would give it overall a B, a strong B for their first effort. So, you know, some of the basic stuff they did really well. Uh, the number one thing that hit me was the ambiance. So, I mean, it was a big industrial building way out in the desert, and it was a 90-minute drive to get there from uh, Los Angeles. And it's not the kind of place you would ever go to for any other reason. It's a tiny little town. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you drive up, and there's this, this parking lot. And one of the pros was that was good parking. And that's something that, you know, these events often underestimate the first time around. So good on them for that. And the ambiance was the number one thing that they just nailed. When you walked in, it was, it felt exactly like an arcade. I was 12 years old again when I walked into that room. It was the carpet and it was the lighting and it was the music and they had artwork on the walls. They had, you know, retro game themed artwork on every wall painted uh, the place was, it was all newly uh, set up for this. So everything was clean and everything was freshly painted. It all looked really nice. So they really, really nailed that. Uh, props to them for that. Uh, the other, And of course, the selection of games was just incredible. Uh, I went there, so it was a three-day event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I went there on Sunday because it was cheaper. It was $25. And I thought that would be enough time. But I, yeah, I ran out of time before I I ran out of games to play. Uh, I came, I showed up first thing in the morning when they opened at, uh, they opened at 9.30, I want to say, and they ran till 5 p.m. And I was there the whole time, stopped briefly to shove a hamburger in my face and go back <laughs> and play more games. And the game, yeah, the days just flew by. I couldn't believe it. Uh, so I definitely the selection of games was incredible. So what was the turnout like? Were there a lot of people there, attendees and stuff? The Sunday crowd was, I felt, just right. There was lots of people, but it wasn't crazy, packed, insane, like you would might fear it would be. It wasn't like, you know, CES or something, just, you know, throng of smelly humanity. So it was, I thought <laughs> I a good... I love that band. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was in a cover band in the 80s called Throng of Sweating Humanity. Uh, they, I felt like it was a good-sized crowd. Apparently, it was quite a bit busier on Saturday. Uh, Saturday was $40. For the, yeah, for the same amount of time. So, well, no, wait, I take that back. Uh, on Saturday night, they were open from 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. Okay, a bit so. of extra time, but a lot more people. So right. harder to get on the machines. And you're right that I think, like, as much as you want to get access to everything, it's it's more fun if there are other people there. Part of the arcade experience is the crowd and listening to other people play and the talk. And so you do want other people, but not so many that you can't ever get on a game. Yes, exactly. So yeah, that was part of that arcade feel when you walked in, there was just enough people that yeah, it felt like an arcade because if there wasn't enough people, it would just feel like a big empty warehouse. uh, Because it was a really big space. So you needed to fill it with people for it to feel like an arcade. Speaking of people, did you meet anybody famous? uh, Well, as a matter of fact, I met Billy Mitchell of Donkey Kong uh, fame. And I also met Walter Day, uh, also of King of Kong and Twin Galaxies fame. So there was, and uh, I, I'm told there was on Saturday a lot more celebrities there from the video gaming and pinball communities, but uh, on Sunday it was a little bit lighter. So uh, that was lots of fun. I got my picture with Billy Mitchell, which was dorky and fun. He's actually a really nice guy. and I, That's all I hear is, is that he is incredibly nice in person. He is, yeah. He plays the foil kind of like a WWE mm. character because, you know, that's what people want. And uh, he... 
he owns it, you know. Uh, and uh, the man can wear a three-piece white suit like no one I've ever seen. So good on <laughs> that him. That is a special for skill. That. It really yeah. is. It really so, is. So at the so there's games, lots and lots and lots of games to play. And I want to talk about a, a games in a bit. But was there were there other things there? Like were there vendors selling things, or was it just a game playing place? Yeah, well, so let me roll into some of the rough edges that uh, I found. I guess to wrap up the pros, I would say the price was reasonable uh, for Sunday. I think I might have been disappointed if I'd paid the Saturday price, and the rough edges are kind of why. So the first thing I encountered was there were a lot of maintenance issues, and I caught them a lot of slack on this because it's their first time event, and I think they were a little bit understaffed during the event, and I imagine for setup they were spending all of their time, you know, painting and setting up the carpet and all these things that they won't have to do ne- won't have to do next time. But there were a lot of broken joysticks, and on the games, a lot of the pinball machines had weak flippers. Uh, there was a lot of the pinball machines weren't level, which was really unfortunate. There was a lot of games I really wanted to play and I'd never seen before, and there they were. And they were just unplayable because they weren't levels. So there was some of that. There was the same thing with the games. There was a lot of games that I was so excited to see. And then you step up and the joystick is broken. Uh, or the other problem they had a lot of was the, you know, a lot of the older games, they don't have a free play mode. So they have to be manually coined up all the time. So what they had was this sort of army of volunteers that was going around manually opening the games and coining them up periodically and they mm. just they just weren't keeping up with that so there was lots of games that were sitting there ready to play working great and they had no credits on them so you so where do you think they would have just set them to free play well like i say a lot of the older games i think didn't have that mode you know they didn't they didn't have a way to do that so the uh yeah they had to they were going around manually coining them up all the time and you know if you could flag down some staff you could get them to do it for you but there just weren't enough of those people around so similarly they had technicians going around servicing the machines but there weren't nearly enough of those either they weren't keeping up with you know the throngs of people and again i cut them some slack for that because 750 games is just an astonishing number i mean it's that's a number of games it's hard to picture unless you see it so i can only imagine the maintenance task that that would entail yeah and plus having you're there on the Sunday, and there's that many, like a huge, you know, sweaty throng of throng, not throng of humanity <laughs> on the Saturday. They would have been beating on the games, so a number of them would have just, you know, if they're not keeping up with the maintenance, would have fallen behind. So you're probably seeing more of that on the Sunday than you may have on the Saturday. For sure, yeah. And this was my understanding is that these games were all a private collection. There was a Kickstarter a while back. That's how this thing got started. There was a Kickstarter to form a video game and pinball museum and the Kickstarter failed. So they instead decided to put on these expos. So the, the, the games are actually the owner's personal collection. And of course, most of them haven't had a lot of maintenance and certainly very few of them have ever been hammered on this hard since they were new. So it's easy to imagine that they just couldn't keep up with them. Anyway, so I guess, yeah, the, that was, yeah, there was some staffing issues. The location was a bit of an issue. Uh, Banning California is way, way out there. You know, if you wanted to fly in for this event, for example, you'd be flying into LAX and you'd be looking at a two-hour drive to get there. But everybody on future ones can just hitch a lift with you, though. 
Oh sure, yeah, right. yeah. I'll be yeah, I'll be running a, a service. I, I would assume, <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, and there was some little stuff too that was annoying. Uh, the volume on the on a lot of the games was very very low, so that that actually hurts playability quite a bit. You know, when you can't hear the game. Mm-hmm. And it's funny too because for a home collection, a lot of times people will turn it down because if it's just you playing and you know you don't want to be blasting out of your house or something. But there's very different volume needs when it's an actual busy arcade. You've got to cut through all that ambient noise. So I mean that's why these cabinets are designed to really be able to pump out the the volume. But um, that's something I guess would take time to go and adjust them all. But maybe they'll know that for the next time if if people give them that kind of feedback. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's the kind of thing where if you're running an arcade you would, you know, keep all of the games balanced from a volume standpoint. But if you're setting up an event like this, I can't imagine how long it would take to go around and balance the audio on 750 games. So that's, yeah, that's definitely, and I know they have gotten a lot of feedback on this on the forums on, you know, they've been talking about this on, on club and Pinside, and they've been getting a lot of feedback about it. Uh, the, the other main thing they're getting feedback about was the number of games that were down, that were just powered off because they were broken. It, uh, at one point, it was probably close to fifty or sixty percent of the games oh, were, wow. were down. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. Then I was imagining a lot being, you know, five percent. Yeah, that's what you would hope. So it, that was a bit of a letdown, especially, that, and that's a big reason why I'm glad I didn't pay the Saturday price because you go there expecting 750 games, and you kind of have two or three hundred if you include. The ones that work and the ones that are coined up and the ones that are level and the ones that the joystick's not broken and, you know, all these things added up. The number of games gets small pretty quick. And it's funny how if it's 300 cabs and they're all working, that seems amazing. But if it's 300 working cabs out of 750, it feels awful because you're getting teased by all these non-working cabinets. <laughs> totally. If I just walked into a room of 20 perfectly working cabs, I've been thrilled. But it was mm. a room with... Yeah, 350 cabs, 20 of which worked. And it was like, oh, man, this sucks. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because we're dealing with we, we know that these are hard to keep up and they're 30 year old games now. Um, and yet still you're charging money and you're offering 750 games. There becomes that expectation. This is not me just dropping by my friend Bob's house and half of his machines are out. And I'm not going to say, Bob, come on, why bring me over. It's not up to my standards. But if you're paying an entry fee, there is the expectation that at least most of them are going to be working. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently on Saturday, to make things even worse, they uh, they tried to set a world record for the most number of people playing pinball ever. They actually had the Guinness people there, and it was all official and everything. And apparently they decided to do this at, during the prime hours on Saturday, like at lunchtime from noon to something like, I guess it took a couple of hours, so it was noon to 2 or 3 o'clock. They literally closed the entire pinball room and kicked everybody out and made everybody stand stand around in the lobby while they were doing this. So I think a lot of people were pretty upset about that. I was lucky to have missed all of those shenanigans. That's also kind of weird because if it's just a record for the most people playing pinball, you just need people playing pinball. Why can't it be attendees? I think uh, I think they did use attendees, but I think in order for it to be official, everybody had to be actually playing at the same moment. So as in a ball in play and, and flippers moving. So I think what they had to do to make it work was... Uh, get all, I think the record was 330 or something. So they were trying to beat that. So they had 335 people all stand in front of a machine and then hit start and go at the same time. 
And then there would be like this 10 second moment where everybody was physically playing at the same time. Watching their balls go off to the side because nothing's level. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and dribbling off the end of the weak flipper. <laughs> well, okay. So I, I get that it's exciting and that you want to go for that because how many opportunities do you have to have 300 and something people playing pinball? And yet, yeah, doing it midday on the Saturday seems not a great idea yeah you'd think they would do it after hours or something or first thing in the morning i think i get why they did it it was a huge marketing opportunity for them because that's the kind of thing where that's a news bite for the local paper and for the radio stations and non-retro gaming outlets they can say oh look these people out here in banning set a new world record at this expo so it's a yeah but if you're doing it on the saturday trying to make the news the best you can do is saturday night are people then going to rush out on the Sunday? Maybe. This is mostly to do a thing that's going to help promote the, the next year's. That's, yeah, excellent point. So you can do it whenever. Yeah. Or do it a week before. <laughs> Bring you 350 people, play, and say, hey, and you too can play next weekend at this, this location. And Quinn's offering free rides. That also would make the news. <laughs> sure, yeah. Now, uh, yeah. So anyway. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to end on a, on a negative note. I mean, the takeaway for me was that I got to play a lot of incredible games that I would never ever have the opportunity to play See, otherwise. That was my next question. Yeah. Were there any like special or unique games there that you were happy that you got to play? There really, really were. So I'll get the pinball out of the way since this is not a pinball show. Uh, it is the, not. <laughs> all the A-list games I ever wanted to play and never thought I'd be able to were there. You know, I played Tales of the Arabian Nights. I played Circus Voltaire. Yeah, I played Attack from Mars and uh, just, yeah, every, every A-list game was there. So that they was have the, incredible. I saw a video recently of um, a Wizard of Oz pinball mm-hmm. cabinet that looked amazing. Was that there? Uh, actually, no. Ah, <laughs> there was not a Wizard of Oz game. That game is brand new, though, so they're around. You can find them to play. Uh, so these these games, what was cool was the number of older games that were here. Uh, these uh, games from, like, the 90s, the Williams games from the 90s, and they had a huge, huge section of the electromechanicals and solid state, early solid state games that, uh, you know, they had a spirit, for example, there was only a couple of those known to exist, I think. And they had a Genesis and they had a lot of these really uh, rare and hard to find older games. So that was very cool. A lot of the uh, early, early stuff they had, a, it was kind of broken down by year. So They had the 90s stuff up front and the 50s and 60s stuff near the back. And a lot of the really older stuff was broken. That was where most of the broken stuff was. But uh, they had some definitely that were working that were really rare and you just don't see. So it's very cool to, to, to get to play those. So, uh, but moving on to the arcade games. So I tried to take a page from the Book of Carrington and play games that I would not normally play, first of all. So anything that looked just weird or I'd never seen before, I made a point of playing. And I, for example, I did not play Galaga. I did not play Space Invaders. I did not play Pac-Man. Never heard of Donkey Kong. Pac-Man. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking notes so I can check these out. Well, so it's Ms. Pac-Man, but it's a dude. I don't know. It's very oh, weird. What? Really? Cool, Mr. Pac-Man. Yeah, woman. they just took the bow off her. I don't know. That's, it seems arbitrary. <laughs> well, then she'd have no character. Yeah, I seem a little, it seems a little objectifying. Just take the bow off it, and now it's a dude. Like, all right, whatever. So, <laughs> sorry, couldn't, couldn't help that. All right, so where was that? Yeah, so. Uh, I tried to play games that uh, I wouldn't normally play. I tried to play games that don't run on MAME. So I looked for anything with weird controllers. I was all over anything with uh, anything environmental. I was all over anything uh, vector games, you know, anything that you just can't play in MAME or can't play at home or just doesn't do it justice. And well, the one exception was Moon Patrol because I cannot walk past a Moon Patrol machine yeah. without playing it. Oh, so good. Uh, and wouldn't you know the joystick was broken. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> oh, well. But yeah, they had some really cool, unusual things. First thing I saw when I walked in, they had a, a row of Vector games up front, and they had a Major Havoc, which was awesome. I've never seen or played one of those before. Such a cool controller and, on those, that, that flat roller thing. Yeah, well, so sadly... Oh, right, it was this, the conversion instead? Yeah, this is this, oh. this was kind of the story of the, of the weekend. It was a, a spinner conversion. Uh, but it's still a good game. It really is. I was quite blown away by that game. It was still fun to play with the spinner. It was hard to play with the spinner, but it was playable. And yeah, that is an amazing, amazing game. I I never would have thought a vector game could could be so detailed and so interesting. So it's almost like an adventure game. I mean, you're hmm. flying between planets and you're running around and and also when he stops and taps his foot, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of character in that game. Yeah, it's sort of like Captain Goodnight actually. Now that I think about it. Oh. Now that's a good game. Mm. So yeah, next to Major Havoc, they had a Black Widow, which is a, what do they call it? A, a, a what do they call those games with the sticks and the shooting and the and there's two of them and I don't know. <laughs> there isn't a name for those. No, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> so they had a Black Widow. Uh, played lots of that. They had they had a game called Gapless. Have you heard of this? I have not. Okay, so I thought when I walked up to it, it looked like a crappy Galaga knockoff, but I, it might actually be an official game in the Galaga family. I'm not sure, but it was. It started out like Galaga, and the the fonts and everything looked like the you know the the traditional Galaga font. And it said the game said Bally on it, so I think it was a Williams game. But uh, it was like Galaga with crazy crazy weapons. So I strongly recommend giving that a try. I'm sure it would play well in Mame. Yeah, fantastic. I'll definitely add that to our, our list to review as well. Nice. Yeah, it, it, I started playing it. I'm like, oh, this is just Galaga. And then everything, the world went crazy. Like, <laughs> like aliens were attaching themselves to my ship and becoming weapons. And like my ship split and there was five of them. And then like things exploded and my ship flew up the screen and an alien grabbed it. And then I had a tractor beam and I was like trapping aliens and throwing them back and like everything it, it everything went nuts so it's <laughs> i don't know how even how to explain this game uh so yeah galaga with the craziest weapons you've ever ever seen highly recommended uh let's see so and uh oh i played uh they had a disc of discs of tron environmental cabinet oh, see that and that's one of my all-time favorite games and my all-time favorite cabinets. It's the environmental one because then you get the speech. Mm-hmm. And that is just such a fantastic game. Yeah, I had never played. I had, I had actually never played that game. And I had certainly never seen an environmental cab for it. And it was really, really nice. It was in great condition. It worked perfectly. Uh, yeah, what a fantastic game. And what a fantastic way to play that game. Uh, there was a lineup for that one a little bit because everybody was really quite enthralled by that. Very, very cool. Uh, they had a Spy Hunter environmental cab as well, which nice. I... Nice. You don't see that much. No, I had never seen one. Unfortunately, I got exactly one game on it, and then the credits ran out, and I couldn't find anybody to coin it up. Oh. <laughs> so once again, kind of the story of the weekend. But uh, yeah, that that game, that's definitely the way to play that, because they had an upright as well, and I played a little bit of that. But once you've played the environmental version of that game, you just can't go back. Uh, let's see. They had a Sinistar environmental, which I had, didn't know existed. Oh, yeah, another one that you don't see much. I mean, you also don't see the, the plastic Duramold ones because they exploded or whatever. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the environmental one, nice, big, dark environmental cabinet. Um, really cool. Another great way to see it because it, you get that great resonance of the voice when you're playing it inside the, the cabinet. So, yeah. yeah, good way to go. Yeah, for sure. 
So, uh, but you know, it's funny. Uh, my, I'm really glad I, I made a special effort to play the weird and odd games because I found one real gem. Uh, uh, well, okay, before I get to that, uh, I also, there was a game called Smoke and Joe, which I think you know because you guys talked about uh, Fire Truck on the show, right? We talked about Fire Truck, I think. Wasn't that one of my choices for the arcade draft? Yes, that's right. So I, Smoke and Joe, I think, is like a sequel or something. Or There was a sequel to that game? <laughs> yeah, or, awesome. a, or, or a variant or something. It was clearly an early game. I want to say late 70s, wood paneling the whole nine yards. And it would, looked exactly like Fire Truck, but the marquee said Smoke and Joe, and it was like a single-player version of it. And when you start the game, it had the option to start either just... Uh, you chose whether you were going to be driver or the person in the back, the front or the rear steering type person. So I'm not sure how that worked exactly. It was some kind of like a single player version of fire truck. I don't know. It was interesting, but it wasn't coined up, so I couldn't play it. (laughs) So that's all I know anyway. uh, But yeah, the one, uh, the one really odd gem that I found was a game called in a, delightful bit of English. It was called Wild Western, and I believe it was by Tato, or Taito? Did we ever decide Tato? Nope. I still have no idea how to pronounce it right. But right. I say Taito. Some people seem to say Taito. Let's call the whole thing off. All right. I've always said Taito, but we'll go with that. So it's a game called Wild Western, and it had the strangest set of controls that I think I've ever seen. There was a joystick on your left hand, and your right hand had a single button and then a spinner knob but it wasn't a spinner in the free spinning sense it was a like a six position selector switch oh i've played games like that and that that sort of is doing your aim exactly and then and then you push it down as well to shoot oh my goodness yeah so it was like it's like those things you see in cars nowadays to control the stereo system like it turns and then clicks down as well uh, I had never seen anything like that. And so the, the game is that you're the sheriff and you're riding around on your horse and you control the horse with the joystick and you aim your gun in one of six positions with this spinner thing and then you shoot with the uh, by pushing down on the spinner and then the uh, bad guys are riding around and in the middle of the screen facing upwards, going traveling up this middle of the screen is a train. And so the train is cover and the bad guys are kind of riding around the train and you're riding around the train. So you're trying to, you're using the train as cover and also trying to get shots around the train because your bullets bounce off of it and will bounce back at you. And then meanwhile, you're trying to ride uh, ride your horse alongside the train and not run into cactuses and things. This makes any sense. So the whole thing was very... Uh, tactical because the train is moving and the enemies are moving and you're trying to get position on them and you're using the train for cover and you know it was it was very tactical and then at the same time the train is traveling through this landscape so there's bridges and cities and so on and the uh there's you know forts and things where the the road narrows down and you have to uh you know maneuver your horse carefully and so on And the button that I mentioned is a button to jump on and off the train. So if you get into like a tight space, like a narrow bridge or something, you jump on the train and then your horse will follow in behind the train. And then when you get through the narrow area, you jump back on your horse. (laughs) See, that's really cool. In addition to being tactical then, because of that dial, it's going to be a very tactile game and something you're not going to really be able to do in MAME. 
Exactly. So it's exactly the sort of cabinet to seek out in a place like this. So that sounds super fun. Yeah, I think this would be just about impossible to play in MAME. I, I don't know how you could do it justice because maybe if it was an eight-way selector, you could fake the right you could fake the aiming with an eight-way joystick, but it was a six-way, so there's just... That wouldn't be the same as twisting and pressing down to fire and yeah, you know, a different it, experience. Yeah, it really would. So I can't I can't imagine, yeah, possibly replicating this thing in uh, in MAME. Uh, it was... And I was just blown away by how deep it was. I mean, I, I played and played and played that game because it was just so interesting. There were so many different ways you could use the train to your advantage and trying to get... Uh, trying to line up the bad guys for for a better shot or whatever. It, the graphics were primitive. It was probably like a I don't know eighty two eighty three game something like that. It felt like, but it was pretty. The colors were bright and uh, nice animations and stuff. So yeah, that was that was the shock of the show for me. Was that that's thing. awesome? I love that. I love discovering a new gem like that that mm-hmm. just sat there for thirty years waiting for you to find it. Go, oh my gosh, I would have loved this game all these decades. So yes. that's that's amazing. What that's that itself is a reason to go to a show like this. Yeah, honestly that I think that made the whole thing worthwhile. Uh, that was such a gem to find. And what was great is that of course it didn't look like much. You know, the marquee was just kind of bland. It said Wild Westerns spelled out with rope and it was just brown on a yellow <laughs> and the, background. And, that name, and yeah. <laughs> Exactly. The name is just super cheesy. And so, you know, there was throngs of people, sweaty throngs of people, and everybody's just walking past it. Uh, so it was Which just is the reason why it was still working. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it was one of the few games that worked perfectly. Uh, and it had lots of credits on it because nobody was playing it. So, uh, yeah, that was fantastic. And it, yeah, the only the only disadvantage to this game that I found was that uh, behind it and one over was the Galaga machine. And I was not previously aware of this, but apparently Galaga has a massive following among the dude bro community because there was this pack of <laughs> dude bros around this thing and there was chest bumping and high-fiving and crushing of beer cans on foreheads and whatnot. And they were all, it was all very loud and uh, obnoxious. And uh, so I would say if you play a Wild Western, try to find one located away from the Galaga. That would be my only suggestion. That's a very good suggestion. So I, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. All these games that were there that were broken... Did you break any of them? Uh, no, not that I'm aware <laughs> of. Did you walk away from any cabinets that were not as working when you got there? No? Want to admit anything live now on the podcast? No. Uh, no, but you know, it's funny. We've talked about this before on the show. So there was uh, the, about the differences between playing games when you're paying for them and when you're not. And, you know, playing them on free play is a distinctly different experience. And... So there isn't that kind of frustration because it doesn't. It, there's just there's no skin in the game. It really doesn't matter when you lose, and I think that uh, that that was that's a real factor. Uh, and there was, I hate to just keep coming back to the negative, but there was a bit of a side effect that I would not have anticipated from that, which is that because people aren't paying to play, people would regularly just walk away from a game when they didn't want to play anymore. So frequently you would walk up to a game and it would be in the middle of a second life or it would be stuck in some state or you know on the pinball machines you know that the ball would be sitting there waiting to be launched or whatever so you know if people were paying they would never ever do that right and that's all that's always a disappointment when i go to arcades nowadays and the good arcade operators usually will tell people when they show up especially young kids going okay these are set for free play there's a little button below that you can press to add a quarter do not 
add 50,000 virtual quarters <laughs> because then they won't go into an attract screen and stuff. You don't want it sitting there with a half-played game or just sitting there ready to play and burning into the screen without an attract mode, yeah. um, which people you know wouldn't do if you're paying with an actual quarter. So you're right. That's a, that's a downside there. Yeah, exactly. And it's a big, big problem with the pinball because you know a lot of the newer games have will play. You can play up to four players at, at one time and in kind of a round-robin fashion. And what will happen is uh, people won't realize there's a game in progress and they'll walk up and they'll push start. And that all that does is add a player to the game. So very frequently I walked up to a machine and there was a four-player game in progress that had been started you know, this way. And that's really annoying because then you have to basically drain 12 balls <laughs> manually just so you can start a new one-player game. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then sometimes while you're trying to do that, there's people lining up behind you thinking you're playing and you're, you have to sort of explain. The thinking you, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm just Well, she won't be long. Look how bad she is. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I had to kind of explain, no, look, I'm just trying to, you know, yeah. It was this whole thing. So uh, that that was it. I found that interesting, actually, that that's the kind of problem that you would just never have in a real arcade because nobody would ever walk away from a game that they paid to play, even if it's just a quarter. Yeah, it's so funny, like elements of arcade etiquette, which are new now that they're all just, you know, pay one price things. Hmm, funny. Yeah, well, and there was some of that. There was an etiquette that kind of developed at this. Maybe it's common at these kinds of shows. This is the first sort of big arcade show that I've been to, but... There, because you don't have a quarter to put up, you just sort of stand behind the person playing and form a line occasionally. Uh, there was never a line of more than one or two people at this show, but that's sort of this weird etiquette, and not everybody understood that. So sometimes people would finish a game and then just start another one. And, you know, you had to sort of, at the end of your game, you had to look behind you and see if there was anybody waiting to play. Uh, and that was kind of an etiquette that not everybody, I think, understood. Yeah, because you don't have that. Normally, you just put up a quarter that tells the person, I got next game. Yeah, exactly. So You should just bring a quarter anyway and just set it up there and say, <laughs> just so you know, this would have otherwise gone into the machine. Yeah, that's tempting. That's tempting. Yeah, it's funny. You, you get into this sort of thing where you try to, uh, when you're picking then your next game to play, if there's somebody at each of the you know games you want to play, you have to sort of try to guess who's going to finish first. And uh, you get into this sort of judgmental mode of trying to figure out who looks like a good game player and who doesn't so you get insulted if you're at like there's three games in a row that are all the same game and you're playing to other people and you turn around there's a line of like three people behind you and nobody <laughs> behind the other people you're like come on yeah. <laughs> come on that's just me uh, that's true well it goes to show you can't judge i, I was i was looking to play uh there was uh, there was a congo uh pinball machine next to a star trek the next generation and I wanted to play them both. Uh, one of them had some dude uh, playing it, and one of them had this little old lady. Uh, she, you know, looked like maybe oh, her early seventies. You bet against 70s. the little old lady. I bet against the little old lady, no, and should have done that. And she was good. She was so good. She played for gosh, twenty minutes or something on uh, on three balls. So, uh, yeah, I learned not to follow her around. <laughs> well, especially because she'd be a little old lady that trekked out there to play. So that's right. Just serious. That's right. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that, oh, and uh, I guess to shift gears a little bit, you asked about the food. There was food, uh, but uh, it was unfortunately uh, not great. The cafeteria, it was, they had these sort of food trucks, and they were unfortunately understaffed. So there was a long line, and uh, my burger was cold. But oh. uh, I was so hungry that I stuffed my face because I wanted to go back and play. It's kind tomorrow. of event you don't really go for the food. Like, yeah. You, you kind of have to have it, but it's like at a con or something. The food's always over 
over expensive and under delicious. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, to bring it back to a positive note, uh, they did have, I did play a couple of sort of more classics, I guess. And they had some games that were in terrific shape. They had a time pilot that was just like mint. I've never seen one this good. And I played a lot of that. It was perfect. They had a gyrus that was absolutely perfect. I played a lot of that. So, uh, you know, and those are games that play fine in MAME, but I just don't normally play them. So it was a good excuse to, to uh, spool them up. Sure. And Time Pilot in particular, such a fun game. That just stays good year after year. Yeah, it really does. Uh, and I did spend some time kind of people watching too. It was funny to see what uh, different people were playing because an event like this does tend to draw kind of lots of different people. It doesn't just draw, you know, arcade hardcore types of folks. You know, you're going to get you're going to get the hard hardcore people who are going to bring their families, for example. So there's going to be lots of, of kids and, and lots of different people. So uh, the fighting, there was a section of fighting games and they were just packed, which I found really interesting. All the kids were playing the fighting games, uh, which I thought was pretty interesting. The There was a, they, they had it kind of grouped by by age. Uh, so there was like a 70s section and uh, an early 80s and a mid 80s and a late 80s. And then there was a fighting game section and and uh, yeah, the fighting games were the were the busiest, which uh, I guess has always been true. Now, was for the video game part, was it all video games, or did they go old enough old enough that there were like um, mechanical games and that sort of thing? Yeah, there was actually a section of electromechanical games, like uh, bowling games and pitch and bat games, those types of things. And That's super fun. Yeah, they were really cool. I like those things a lot. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately, again. Uh, there were some maintenance issues. Um, a lot of the mechanical games were broken down as well. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're just neat to see, honestly. So, And if it's a single or, or a few small collectors whose things are there, it also is probably disappointing for them because they show up with their 750 working machines and they have a party and like 300 of their machines are now broken. <laughs> so, ugh. Yeah, I mean... I, I, assuming I'm right about where the games came from, I think they were a single collection, but uh, props to whoever owns them for subjecting them, their collection to thousands of sweaty strangers who are just going to you know, abuse them for an entire weekend. I don't know. If, I don't know if I could do that. Uh, you know, I have I have my main machine and I have my uh, my pinball machine and. Even when I'm, you know my friends come over who I ostensibly like, I uh, cringe a little watching them play because <laughs> I've just got so many hours invested in keeping you know them running and getting them fixed up and stuff. These so. are the people I ostensibly like. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, keep away from the pinball. <laughs> yes. So at the end of the day, okay, would you go again? If they're going to hold this another six months from now or annually or something like that, do you intend to go back? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, in a heartbeat. It was... Yeah, it's definitely for the Sunday. Uh, I'm glad. I'm really glad I went on the $25 Sunday instead of the $40 Saturday. Uh, it was, yeah, it was worth every penny for sure. Even with all the issues, um, you know, I don't know where else you're going to get to play, uh, you know, a Major Havoc and, you know, a Medieval Madness pinball machine on the same day. Uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I looking at the photo and, and hearing about it, I I desperately want to go. Even though a bunch of machines will be broken, even though there'll be a bunch of dude bros, <laughs> like even with all the issues, this sounds like a 
fantastic event and i really am envious that you went and i intend to go the next time this comes around awesome yeah for sure yeah well uh ride it free rides for me of course free rides for everybody <laughs> for quinn which will be great we'll make sure that we uh we publish that yeah. and on on the web when the next event comes around yeah well and i anticipate next one will be better because like i say i know they've gotten a lot of feedback i'm sure not all of it uh, entirely diplomatic about the condition of the games and the leveling and some of those issues and I'm sure this is one of those things where if you've never put on an event like this, I'm sure you can't even imagine how much work it is to, to do and to get all the details right. So the fact that this is their first time doing it and the amount that they did get right, you know, there was lots of bathrooms and they were clean and the parking was great and all of that kind of stuff, you know, so they and everything was clean and the carpet was nice. They got all that stuff right and they got that out of the way. So next time, you know, they can focus on fixing the games and leveling them and whatever. Uh, and I'm sure they know they need more staff to coin up the games and all that sort of thing. So uh, I'm sure next time it's going to be just that much better. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a slam dunk next time. Fantastic. I really look forward to it. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on our show, gracing us with your presence and telling us about an event I wish I had gone to. Yeah, well, it seemed like a fun thing. I I got so excited. I was so excited by the event when I came back and I took pictures of your guys' favorite games uh, to taunt you with. I took pictures of the Sinistar and the uh, the environmental spy hunter for Mike and everything. And I just thought, oh, wow, this is fun. I should just come on the show and we should talk about it. Indeed. I'm glad that you did. Yeah. Plus, you know, this is an, uh, an auspicious day for you because you've got uh, both hosts of the number one Apple II podcast on your show and you have yourself, the host of the number one dead Apple II podcast. <laughs> Mike still is the number one. It just hasn't had an episode in two years. Uh-huh. <laughs> still doesn't mean uh-huh. it's not the number one. <laughs> we'll see. By Kansas Fest, I will have more episodes than you guys. Oh, I see. You've, you've been saying that for a long time. <laughs> Throwing down the gauntlet. I'm determined to troll you into doing the show again because I really miss it. It's almost certainly going to work. <laughs> well, but thank you for coming on this show. I appreciate it, Quinn. Oh, it was my pleasure. So I hope to see you and Mike at the next one. Absolutely. And now, back to me. Well, thank you for that report, Quinn. That was my coming back from it <laughs> voice. Did you like it? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Not even a little bit. Um, uh, should we do more feedback? Is there more feedback? There's always more feedback. Well, then feed us more back. Well, because right before we cut to Quinn's field report, we were talking about um, people who had written in um, including Rob from Player Missile to sort of test your no ban pledge. So we had <laughs> a few people write in specifically to push your ban button. Um, I'm only going to read one of them because I think this is the best one because I could honestly be here for the next half an hour trying to get you to ban people. But Vlad's was my favorite because <laughs> it was short and really tries to hit hit the points. He says, as a longtime fan of the Commodore 64, I really enjoy your weekly episodes, mostly so that I can hear a couple of Apple II players fumble through arcade games well your scores are never that high it's understandable since you cut your teeth playing on such an underpowered musically challenged graphically limited 8-bit maybe you would do better if arcade games had little pink fringe artifacts and a buzzy one note speaker that made you feel more at home then again it could be worse it could be an apple 3 what's that other podcast called again drop something oh right drop it off at goodwill Elevator action forever, Vlad. <laughs> so what do you think? Is is Vlad still allowed to listen? <sighs> you got Hello, through it? Vlad. Thank you very much. <laughs> Writing in. My favorite was drop it off at Goodwill. 
That's the best. Vlad, that was pretty funny. So thank you for writing in, Vlad. I think people should continue to try to press these <laughs> buttons. We'll see we'll see how long it takes for Mike to crack. Um, Rental man missing for six weeks. <laughs> Film at eleven. <laughs> so uh one more, one more short one, and then we we can get to this piece of game. Roberta wrote in to say, I know the next game. Amazing. I never know the next games. I swear <laughs> I think you cheat with the sound samples. But this time I was coincidentally playing this game just this last week, and the music is a dead giveaway. It's quartet. My prediction is you guys won't like the game if you're playing it solo. It needs the trash talking <laughs> party experience to be fun. But if you can get a couple of friends to drop in a couple of quarters, it's a blast. So well-spotted Roberta. I think she was the only person who wrote in with a correct guess of this week's game. And she's right. It is 1986's game Quartet by Sega. And it's awesome. It's Gauntlet in Space. I, I love this game. So Roberta was wrong. So she predicted that we wouldn't like it if we played it solo. Now, did you play it solo or did you have other people play with you? No, I, I played it solo. I, I play with myself solo. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to chuckle. It's like... Wink, wink, know. nudge, nudge. <laughs> okay, so this is a... Well, I say it's Gauntlet in Space. It, one of the big differences, of course, is it's a side-scroller rather than a top-down view. So in view, it's not. I guess I'm saying it's, yeah. it's Gauntlet because it's a four-player simultaneous game and there's only so many of those. But this is a side-scrolling platformer other than sometimes you get jetpacks and so it becomes a side-scrolling shooter, I guess, at that point. But in that sense, it's different. But it is a four-player simultaneous buy-in, you know, player three needs food kind of kind of game. Right. It, it certainly is a uh, a, a quarter-muncher. You know, it's it's a combination fight and go right slash platform game. So it's fight and go right while sometimes in flight. Well, sometimes, <laughs> yeah. <a> rhyme. <laughs> I see what you did there. And in fact, it's it's frustrating. It was frustrating for me at first, kind of figuring out because uh, you you start out not being able to fly, and you pretty quickly get this jetpack. But while you don't have it, because there's no button to jump with, it, you you press the joystick up and that's jumping. And it's also when you get the jetpack on and that moves you up. The difference is when you don't have the jump pack, you come back down obviously. And when you're wearing it, you don't. So that, that can be sort of a, I died a lot putting the joint into, you know, cause you get knocked down by these things that are floating at you and attacking and you fall to the ground, you lose all your inventory and stuff and you have to pick it back up. And while you're doing that, they're, they're running at you and attacking. And so you kind of do the jump thing and then you, the pack back on and you forget and you float up right into something because you expect it to come back down when you didn't stupid, stupid. at first i was it, it bothered me that it was that mechanic i i don't normally like a game where you press up on the joystick to jump um that was one of my problems with kangaroo same thing like i prefer a jump button but mm-hmm. i get it when here when there's so often you can get one of these um uh the jetpacks it has to become a flying mechanic so it makes more sense that you move up that way but Nonetheless, I would have still preferred a button for jumping, even if I have the jetpack, just that jumps. And if I had the jetpack, then pressing up would let me fly. I would have much preferred that mechanic. It messes me up when, when you press up to jump. Like I just I never quite feel comfortable with that mechanic. So well, that bothers me. Fortunately, fortunately though, in, in Quartet, you spend most of your time with the jetpack on, and, and when you don't have it on, you get one again pretty quickly. I spend and... most of my time on the ground <laughs> waiting out the timer right. so you can get back up again. And at first, that was driving me crazy because, like, you get hit, and you you lose all your stuff. It sort of scatters like a piñata, and then you're on the ground for just, like, a very brief second, a couple of seconds. 
um, before you can get moving again and, and grab your things. And at first I was like, this this is stupid. Like, what is going on? But I get it. And it's because, we, we, I mean, in, integral to this game is the fact that it's a multiplayer game. It's, you, it, it's just like Gauntlet, where it's designed to have four people, or at least multiple people, but ideally four people playing at once. So we've got four quarters going during the game. But while it's a cooperative game, where it's all of you against the bad guys, you're also playing kind of competitively, and there's lots of elements where you're in competition with your fellow players. So the idea that when you get hit, you fall to the ground, you scatter your stuff, including maybe the all-important keys, we'll get to the keys later, Um, that point where you can't move is obviously designed to let your fellow players swoop in and grab (laughs) some of your stuff, which adds a lot to the competition. So that's like a very important element. But when you're playing solo, it's just really kind of this moment of annoyance. It was really (laughs) getting on my nerves until I realized why it would be there. Totally makes sense, but it makes much more sense in the context of a a sort of quasi-competitive multiplayer game. Right. As much as I enjoyed this, uh, the single player experience, uh, I imagine it's, it's a lot more fun playing with other people. It's, um, you know, again, a quarter muncher and, you know, there's the smack talking and there's the competitive element that, that probably adds quite a bit to this game. So what are we talking about here? Quart- Quartet is a two player or a four player game, depending on which version of the ROM you're playing. Uh, it's a side scrolling shoot 'em up according to Sega retro. Uh, and it features the characters, Joe, who is the yellow player. Mary, the red player, Lee, the blue player, and Edgar, who is the green player. And you, your goal is to destroy numerous robots who have taken over a human base in each level. At the, at the end of each level, basically, once you get as far right as you can go, there is a boss fight. And killing the boss gives you a key, which opens a door and lets you in through the next stage. And that's really, that's really it. That's, but one of the big elements is the boss is not necessarily at the door. Right. So that's interesting. A lot of times I would find the door before I would find the boss and I have to like maybe basically backtrack to the boss and then get the key and then go back to where I've already located the door. So that's kind of, that's a fun element. Yeah. I was released in 1986 by Sega. I don't know if we said that already. I'll um, say it again. <laughs> okay. The, um, so, so I'd mentioned that there's a two player version and the four player, the four player version is actually simply called quartet. And, and you pick your player on that cabinet based on where which slot you put your coin in. The two-player version is called Quartet 2, which can be kind of, it sounds kind of confusing. Because sounds like a sequel. Right, exactly. But it was released at exactly the same time. It's just that the Quartet 2 game only supports two players and the and your, your position or, or the character that you play is chosen, you choose uh, by joystick at the beginning of the game rather than by where you drop your coin. So we should talk about those players. So there's four players. They're color-coded. And there's Joe, who's yellow, uh, Mary, who's the red character, Lee, the blue character with the big 80s stash, who's awesome, which gives you a hint about which character I want to play, <laughs> and Edgar, who is green, who is the visor. Um, so, Mike, who was your preferred character to play? I either played Mary or Lee. Okay, so I was all about the Lee because of the, because of the stash. Big 80s stash. I'm like, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Have to be the 80s stash guy. And they each have different... Different weapons, which I liked. Like in, in the same way, like Gauntlet, you've got kind of the four characters and they're different. Does it cast magic? Does it shoot arrows? What have you? Same thing happens here. So Joe has um, kind of a rapid fire gun. It's like the machine gun, basically. Mary is, I guess you call it a, a like kind of like a bazooka, I guess, like a laser, laser zooka. Mm-hmm. Um, Lee shoots these big, they're like laser chevrons. So it's kind of like a mm-hmm. wide laser beam. So, which is nice. I really like Lee because you do when you're doing the the tunnel levels 
um, when you're in the corridors and stuff, it kind of fills the whole corridor. So I like that. And um, then Edgar is, he calls it the miracle gun, but I, I thought of it more of like a, um, like a grenade launcher kind of. So what I, I like that it's, it's a different weapon. So not only on screen when you're playing multiplayer, does it differentiate by color, which is important. So you can tell who, who is who very quickly. Um, I like the fact that the, the weapons look different as well. So you can also, also differentiate the weapons while it's on screen. And, you know, you got maybe up to four player characters going plus a whole bunch of, of enemies all at once. And so that color and, and, and shape differentiation is really important to be able to keep track of who's who. I agree. Well, because it was really well put and it was an excellent point. <laughs> well, of course. So I would Did assume you you'd agree with it. Uh, the game is like last week's game. The, this is a very sort of, it's bright colors, pinks and, and, and light blues and reds. And it's very colorful. It's very cartoony. The music is, lively and it's catchy and and for me this sort of came together in a way that last week's game just didn't quite get to and made the, all the difference in the world between enjoying the heck out of it and kind of going <laughs> more variety in the music too yep and yeah. and mu- music too like there's lots of like in addition to the sound and sound effects there's there's actual music happening now too uh, right. And if you'll give me just a second to find the tab that I was just looking at that talked about the music, I can talk about that. Was it a good tab? Was <laughs> it, it, was, was it, it a was color-coded a tab? tab? <laughs> oh, man, you should have seen this. It was wonderful. <laughs> what a oh, gosh, it was tab. just, the, the, it's like the end of the internet. You don't need to go any further than that. No, actually, it was the uh, Sega Retro uh, page that I was just talking about and clicked away from. Some of the quartet's music was actually recycled for Sega's Spider-Man, the video game. A version of the stage one theme was arranged by Taito's sound team, Zuntata. And we talked about Zuntata a couple of games ago. I forget the title, um, but they had released some of the sound, uh, some of the songs on, on CDs that you could buy. If you, We've talked about the video game music preservation pages. I think there's one or two of them out there that, that list all these really obscure Japanese compact discs that were released in the early 90s that, you know, what was on them and if you can still get them and uh, Zuntata released a whole bunch of them and they included quartet on one of them. Uh, they said that Sega retro says that it was included as part of, uh, my, 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 M A I I don't know what that means. Uh, and was later for uh, available for purchase for a dollar 99 for their iOS rhythm game, uh, groove coaster zero. <laughs> Another version of the theme, the, the level one theme appears in, in, uh, Hatsune Miku, Project Diva Arcade with added lyrics. So okay, I I tried to read about that mm-hmm. that that remix and that sent me down a whole <laughs> rabbit hole, and I came back up having no idea what I just read about. I read, <laughs> I researched, I was going to talk about it. I can't understand that stuff at all. So as far as I can tell, and someone's going to have to write in to explain this to me because you know there's some things you just like. We talked earlier about me being old. Well, here's an example. There's some things the kids are doing today where I'm like, I I don't. I literally cannot understand what these words mean when they're put together. So in other words, they should take them off their, off your lawn and do them somewhere else. Honestly. Yes. Keep (laughs) off my lawn, get a job, cut your hair, all of that. So (laughs) there's this thing called Vocaloid and it was a voice synthesizer software. Uh And then there was like another version of Vocaloid that let you do sort of music i guess and it provided the voices and then that got turned into some rhythm game type thing and then it really took off when they started adding characters 
into Vocaloid. So you'd have this voice synthesizer software and then you could buy a singer, basically. And the singers weren't real singers. They'd be a virtual reality anime character, I guess. And that's this Hatsune Miku was one of the first of those. It's a Vocaloid character that became like super famous in this subset of stuff I've never even heard of before. And, and then there was a version of the quartet theme song was in project diva arcade, which is mm-hmm. different than project diva, but I'm not sure what either of those things are. It looks like it's kind of an arcade game that is <laughs> itself based on a series of rhythm games that are based on just a voice synthesizer or something. I don't know. So, and then I just got all these sites that were talking about how you can tell that Hatsune Miku, what type of like anime character she is. And it's defined by these four traits and whether or not an anime character has one or two pigtails. And she's of the two pigtail variety. I'm like, that's a thing. And the fact that her sleeves kind of float, they don't attach her sleeves of her shirt. Don't attach her to her shoulders. And that's like a thing. And I was like, that's a, how, how is that a thing? <laughs> so floating sleeves and, and two pigtails make her one sort of character or something. I mean, I, I'm totally out of my depth. And I'm reading this. I'm like, just tell me what Project Diva Arcade is. I just <laughs> want to talk about it on my podcast. I, I, I finally gave up. I don't understand. I'll have some links to throw in the show notes so other people could start on that same journey. But it led me nowhere. It led me in circles. And I came out still not understanding what any of that stuff is. Right. So, so anime. I know what anime is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and obviously it has its own. the. the, the category of anime i guess has kind of its own language like you were talking about you know where where one pigtail means a different kind of anime than two pigtails and i mean you could really 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 get lost in that that jungle there and just kind of interesting i just didn't understand it it is it's very time consuming more than we're going to do learn about in a week uh but the game itself definitely like when you start playing this you're like oh this is this is an anime because the characters uh are their movements are like are are like uh, like Reminded me of that was it the, the Powerpuff Girls, I think is what it was called, um, where the, the characters' movements reminded me uh, of what I was seeing on the screen here and, and the colors and, and, and the music and everything about it. So I agree. Yeah, if you're an anime fan, you're going to love this game. I think so, too. I totally agree. In, in the colors, in the, in the character, the, the way the sprites look and the way they move and the way they get shot and stuff, absolutely. And, and, and the, the fact that you're kind of fighting against space pirate robots – that's right, right out of an anime. So lots of anime elements in the sort of over, over the top characterizations as well. Everybody's talking, um, but or, the, or rather when they, there's some voice synthesis in this, so it's open the door and the way it talks is that like everything is being shouted, but you don't know if it's emoting a bad thing or a good thing or whatever. So yeah, right out of anime. There's also a um, a manga. There's a 14 page what I would oh, you I know Japanese know. comic book. There's a 14 page manga. And I found a bunch of copies, but no translations. So I only found Japanese versions. I'll put a, a link in the show notes. There's a, there's a few versions. You can read it online. From the context, I think I can tell that it's the story of the four characters and how they came together and why they're doing battle against the big bad. But there's no English. So I just I look <laughs> at the pictures and go, and then they met, and then they started shooting at these people. Okay, there you go. So 14-page manga, and I don't understand it. Uh System16.com describes this as one of, uh, this is a, I guess, this is classified as a System16 board from Sega, but it is described as pre-System16 hardware. There's a few, there's a handful of games that fall into that category. Um, And in this case, it means that it has a a Motorola 68000 uh, at 10 megahertz for its main CPU. 
for the sound because there's a lot of really great sound in it. It's uh, got a Z80 at 4 megahertz and N7751 at 400 kilohertz and Intel 8751 also at 8 megahertz. And it has uh, a YM2151 at 4 megahertz plus it has a DAC. Uh, the video resolution. Yeah. The video resolution. A lot resol- of sound, sound part <laughs> it is, Yeah. The, um, in fact, yeah. So the, the video resolution, this is 19, this game can came out in 86, which is later on uh, in the life of arcades. Uh, so the resolution, which is 320 by 224, is actually kind of low, but they do a good job of, of making uh, of making up for that, like I said, with the colors and, and mm. all the stuff going on on screen at the s- same time, which because they've got the 10 megahertz 68,000 there, you can drive all of that because playing the game reminded me a lot of uh, games like 1941 uh, in that there's tons and tons of stuff coming at you from all directions at once. And so it's easy not even to notice really when you get hit because there's so much stuff going on, you just boom, you're dead and you you don't die traditionally like, like with Pac-Man where you get three deaths per quarter and you can earn extra lives. This is uh, you get one life per quarter, but you get a a health bar that you can refill. So as long as you keep refilling that health bar and it doesn't get to zero, uh, you, you can continue to play. Um, There are plenty of power-ups and bonuses, especially early on. There's kind of the, the, the timer mechanic that that's, designed to give you bonus points as well as to make sure you don't hang out on any one level too long and just try to rack up points. If that gets down to zero before you finish a level, you're dead. Um, there is this hilarious little animation when you actually do end up dying where these two little angels come down from heaven <laughs> right. and they pick you up and they float away with you. Which again is a fun sort of thing in a multiplayer game because like that's happening to you while everybody else is going on to play. And you're like, oh, and grabbing your stuff. And, and, and the whole point is then it motivates you like, yeah, your stuff's going away, put a quarter. And if you want to come back really quickly and, you know, motivation, you keep feeding those quarters in. It's well designed to take away the quarters. Yeah. There's also yeah. those, uh, of the power, you mentioned the power-ups. And so most of them are things like you can jump higher, you can move faster. The, the jet pack that we talked about. My favorite of them though are these colorful bouncing energy balls. Yeah. And when you shoot them, they cycle through the four colors. So they're they're going to be red or yellow or green or blue. And if you pick one of those up when it matches the color of your character, then it upgrades your weapon, which is great. But it also is another one of those things they've put in the game that make it a little competitive for a cooperative game because it'll be one of those bouncing. And it's like, hey, anybody who wants to turn to your color, then it can be yours. And if someone else is going for it, you shoot it, it becomes, oh, I'm, is it now yellow? What a shame. I guess that's mine. So, you, you know, every, it's not that it's come on screen and, oh, it's a yellow ball, give it to the yellow character. It's a, no, no, who feels like, you know, battling for it and, and maybe shooting at that rather than the enemy. So it's like a distraction. So great little elements like that that, that turn this into a more competitive game um, among a group of like trash talkers. And I think that's, that's a really good element. Yeah. And I think, Having the the different weapons and the and the different colors and things for the different for the characters sort of gives them a little bit of you know unique flavor. Not a whole lot. You're not going to get a whole lot in a game like this. But you know, uh, I'm reading the the arcade flyer here from from Sega, which starts out. It says the sound of gunfire can only mean that the quartet is engaged in another of their many fierce battles. And then there's a picture of Edgar, and he's big and tall, like a football player. In fact, his armor in the, on the flyer sort of re- resembles football shoulder pads. And he's got his, he's bald and he's got his Terminator glasses on a big gun on his shoulder. And it says, Edgar is noted for his jumping ability. Uh, he is the most cool headed uh, of the four space fighters. And then next to him is Lee in a big shaggy haircut and a porn stash. And Lee says, he is, the best. Well, <laughs> he is well known for his quick and skillful maneuvering of 
of the of the wide beam gun. And uh, down at the bottom, we have dark-haired, wide-eyed Mary, who looks absolutely like every other female anime character you've seen. Says, uh, years ago, her parents were killed by space pirates. Although smaller than the others... Killed by pirates is good. <laughs> although smaller than the others, she is very proficient in operating the power bazooka. And finally, we have Joe, and Joe's kind of... Joe is sort of the, the Lance of the group, if you he's, ever watch... He's totally the leader. If, if you watch Voltron, yeah, he's... he's uh, and says, uh, he looks just like, like Lance. Joe, uh, uh, although possessing a reputation for being cold-blooded, he is in reality a most compassionate person. Uh, among those in the quartet, he moves the fastest. Oh, I hadn't realized there was a speed difference there. I know you can pick up um, uh, speed bonuses that will speed up your character, but I hadn't realized he started with a base faster speed because I found him, he's the least interesting of the characters. He's like gener- <laughs> generic leader guy. I'm like, I don't want you. I, I want he's oh, the mustache guy. <laughs> like, totally. <laughs> it's funny, in the, um, in the Japanese version of the game, um, especially the home versions, Mary has a dark hair and sort of Japanese features, but in the North American, um, like the flyers, the the side of the arcade, that kind of stuff, she's Caucasian with red hair because she's like the red character. So she wears a red outfit and has red hair. And so they changed her features and her look for the Japanese version. Oh, or actually, no, it probably came in Japanese first. I guess they changed her for the North American version. It must be the other way. Huh, okay. Anyway, they're different. I don't know which one came first, but they're they're different. Now, if you're playing this in MAME, which I imagine most of you will be, uh, as we were, you'll if you start up the uh, the ROMs that are just called Quartet, it will you'll get this message about how it hasn't been properly dumped because there's still some protection scheme going on there, and that's the that's the four player game. It's a protection game. scheme. <laughs> nice nice uh, Quartet you got here. Shame if something <laughs> was to happen. Shame if something was to happen to it <laughs> if you didn't pay on time, um, and the court. And it recommends playing the Quartet 2 ROM, which has been properly dumped, but it's only two players. So if you're playing at home by yourself, with yourself, like I was, then the the, the Quartet 2 ROM works just fine. I, the, if it's you, totally the same game. It is. And if if you do play the, the original ROM, the game loads up just fine. And, and maybe it's because I'm not observant or I didn't get far enough into it, but I never saw any sort of copy protection that, that messed with the gameplay. So I, I don't know where that came from, but... Totally, uh, totally a quarter muncher. You know, if you're playing with your friends, you just dump. You know, get a get a roll of a twenty dollar, a couple of ten dollar rolls of quarters, and just expect to go through them all if you want to make a lot of progress in this game. Because the game, you know, expects you to play with people and it expects you to to you know dump another quarter and hit the continue so often you're going to die and you're going to die a lot. Except this is one of the games that really benefits from modern arcades, which a lot of times are like pay one fee Replay, and you get to yeah. come in for an, an hour or a few hours of the full day or whatever, which is great. So like, you know, you and three friends can go to an arcade, pay a fixed fee and say, okay, now let's sit down and let's play for an hour and see how far we can get into quartet and be trash talking and playing together and make a real party experience. This, I mean, that's great. So now you don't have to each pay, you know, $25 to try to get it to the end of this game. You paid your <laughs> one-time fee and you play a bunch of other games, but also this one. So I, that, you know, to me is a, a great example of, of something where you, you know, go to an actual arcade and get on a machine that has either a two or four player version of this and, and play it, which is awesome. Uh, so Carrington, tell me about the cabinet. It's big. It is four player E, um, as you can imagine, just like a gauntlet cabinet. It's large cabinet with a, a slightly wider than usual um, uh, control panel. But in this case, unlike like, say a Simpsons or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which go quite wide, this one's kind of notched. So you've got four player positions, two right in front 
and two to either side. They're color-coded, so it goes uh, blue, then yellow, then red, then green. And like you talked about earlier, um, you put your quarter into one of four coin slots that are linked to that character. So if you coin up the the blue coin slot, then that's the character that that gets the credit. You can't just put them in anywhere. Um, so it's designed to be specific to those those players. The cabinet itself is fun and and cartoony and does have like um, full side art, which is nice and like shows the the four. I mean, it's all about these quartet, right? So it shows the four characters. It's got a, a nice big marquee at the top that shows the the characters again and the logo and bezel art around it, which again has the four bubbles and shows the characters. So it's all it's very colorful. But they keep saying, "Okay, here are the quartet. Here's the four characters." So they went <laughs> with the theme. It's a little bit on point, but also has art in the front of the cabinet down below the control panel. So it's got the Sega logo and then below that another kind of like, you know, uh, hero pose of the four four characters again with the, the blue and yellow stripes behind them. But it's nice because then it's got full side art on both sides and also art up top with the marquee and art down below in the kick panel area. Um, so I like it. So it's a nice, colorful, nice. large cabinet. Yeah. So it's very much a typical, you know, four-player looking cabinet. Um, but I dig it. And another thing that we haven't really mentioned, but I, I like that this is one of the few games I can think of that are a four-player simultaneous game that's not a beat-em-up game. That it's really like a platform slash shoot-em-up game. Whereas the rest of them that came later, like I just said, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Simpsons, they're more beat-em-up games. So it's a different sort of game. And it's got that real competitive element between the, the players that I really liked. That's a little, you know, a different way to go than the typical four player games. So that's super fun. Um, like you said as well, there's also the, the quartet two, which isn't a sequel, which is just like the two player version of quartet. They should have just called it duet or something. Um, that though was only sold as a conversion kit. So there are no original cabinets for Quartet 2. There's only conversions, um, even though Quartet 2 makes it sound like a sequel to Quartet, mm. which it is not. Uh, but good good, um, good uh, cabinet. I like it. I have no idea what they go for because so many of these things then got converted into other stuff. And the Quartet 2s, for the most part, like they were kits. So old machines would get converted into them and then would get converted back out of them. Um, so I couldn't find any like fixed examples. I mean, I found a bunch of people that sold and they'd sell for $200, $800, $1,000. They're all over the place, but I didn't seem to get any consensus of, well, what does one of these things go for? So can't really advise you investment-wise, but it's a, certainly a fun game and a and a multi simultaneous multiplayer game. And there's not a lot of those. And so fun party game to add to a collection, I think. Yeah. Definitely. I, this, like I said earlier, this uh, really gelled for me. All the little parts came together to, to provide a, a super fun play experience. I think of the 25 or so games that are in my top five favorites. This is, this is up there on the list. Not for me. Uh, this because like, you're dumb. <laughs> it may, among the many reasons why is because <laughs> I'm dumb. Um, <laughs> it's more that like, I never, I've, I've never played this game before. So quartet was totally new to me this week. I, I don't even think I'd necessarily heard of it. So I was like, Oh, look, this kind of looks interesting. It didn't quite grab me right away, but I, I stuck with it and I kind of liked it and I did have fun playing it, but I played it solo and I kept thinking the whole week this would be so much more fun with other people. This would be so much more fun with other people. So uh, I I, I, I kind of liked playing it this week, but I think it's such a better game. I think, I'm assuming, it would be such a better game if if more than one person played it once. So I'm going to highly recommend that if people check this out, if you go to the Underground Retrocade to play it, if you play it at home, what have you, get at least one other person and play at least like two players. I think it would add a lot. 
um, that competitive element was really missing when it was just me lying on the ground with my stuff <laughs> scattered about me and no one there to steal it. Um, so yeah, so I like it, but it's a tentative like because I haven't checked it out multiplayer, which is I think the best way to play it. I absolutely, I absolutely agree with you about about this. Probably, I mean, I I enjoyed it a lot more. It sounds like than you did, and I think it'll be even better as as a multiplayer experience. Like if you were going to say you had one of those multi multi game cabinets for MAME that you like to bring out. Uh, when you had parties or you had friends over, especially if you have one that's set up for a four player or even the two player version, I think this is definitely uh, a great choice to include in the list of games that you would put in that when you have people over to play. You know, I'm, I'm totally going to agree with that. I, and I'd like to check this out multiplayer. So maybe when we get together down at Kansas Fest or something, this is a game I would like to play more than one person because I think that's the way to play it, but I haven't actually had that experience. So can't quite give it a thumbs up or thumbs down yet. Um, so what was this ported to? I think we skipped over ports and sequels. Mike, tell me what it was ported to. Give me the list and the dates and the programmers. No, I don't know. What do you know? Wasn't, <laughs> I don't have the programmers' names or anything like that. I'll wait. Uh, it did. <laughs> I'll be back in just a little while. Uh, it was ported to a bunch of different systems. and Not the um, Apple II, I think. No, not the Apple II. That'll make Vlad happy. <laughs> I, I, and because it was a Sega title, it ended up on a bunch of their... You know, they, this was the Sega, the, the arcade version, like like I, I mentioned earlier, was the pre-Sega, pre-System 16, System 16 hardware. Uh, it ended up on the Sega Master System. And uh, as far as home conversions and things like that, the only the only titles I could find, uh, the only home computers I could find it on were the Amstrad, CPC, the Commodore 64, and the ZX Spectrum. Um, it also showed up, uh, it was bundled as part of SDI strategic defense initiative, uh, in Sega ages, 2500 series, volume 21, SDI and quartet Sega system, Sega system 16 collection. <gasps> oh, geez, that was a mouthful. That was almost like one of my <laughs> intros there. So it, it is out there in, in other forms, but I, I really, I mean, there's no reason to, to tr- have to track it down and, and play it on your home system unless you're just nostalgic for it because plays great um, on MAME uh, in a home setting. It's funny, that PlayStation 2 version, the, the, the one with SDI, I read about that, though I hadn't actually played it, that it was part of what they called the Sega 16 Collection or the Sega System 16 Collection. No, no, the Sega Ages 2500 Series Volume 21 SDI and Quartet Sega, 16, Sega System 16 Collection. I see. So, <sighs> see. I didn't want to have to breathe in at the end of it. <laughs> but I had read that that was... It was chosen because they, they ran a poll. They say, okay, well, what, what should we do next? Mm-hmm. Like to do number 21. And this is the game that got voted on. It got the most votes was Quartet. Wow. So it is a well-loved game. Yeah, there's um, some fans out there. And there's, yeah, some, there's some great fan pages. And maybe maybe if Carrington remembers, he'll throw a few of them into the show. Odds are against it. <laughs> <laughs> Laziness precludes that kind of activity. The notes I have are the notes you get. <laughs> um, the Sega Master System version is interesting to talk about because it's not really the same game so it's still quartet and it, it, it thematically it's the same game but it's almost more of a sequel than a port they made a ton of changes and first of all it's more similar to quartet 2 because it's like which is the two two player version because here you can only play up to two people which makes sense because it's a home game like you're not gonna be able to do four players at once right. on, on a Sega master system but you get three lives instead of one life. So it's not done as the countdown thing. It's like you got a fixed number of lives. Way fewer levels. Like the arcade version of this game is essentially infinite. It's 32 levels, um, but they loop like forever. And I think, and like there's the this certain kind of settings that keep repeating in the arcade version. Like it's the, 
you're out in space and then there's the cave and the ruins and you're inside the ductwork and inside the, the base and stuff. And then they sort of just repeat. I, I think the home versions, which I know nothing about, like you said, there's the Amstrad and the 64 and the ZX Spectrum. Um, I think those had fewer levels as well. Like they were 15 or 16 level versions, but the master system is six levels and they're kind of an amalgam of, of the best bits of the arcade version, but you're going to go through them once it has an actual ending to the game instead of infinite loop. You're given like a reason. You're trying to find this comatose lady or kidnapped lady. I guess probably kidnapped this video game. Always <laughs> kidnapping women. Um, so it's actually called, like in Japan, the Master System version was called Double Target, the Sleeping Cynthia. Changed name completely because it's such a different game. And they also changed Edgar's name to Edger. They spelled it wrong, <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> um, so it seems that the Master System game is a redesign of the game specifically to be a single player game and so you can play it with one person it's got an ending to it you've got a target you're trying to like reach and accomplish it has a whole like sort of background mission thing it adds these bottomless pits and unique bosses that don't exist in any other version it gets rid of those colored bouncing balls which are i think one of the major competitive elements because you're shooting for those those are gone from the master system version because it's so geared towards one person sits down to play through a game with kind of a plot and an ending and yet it's the same version, just completely reimagined. So while it's called Quartet, it looks like a really interesting sequel for a home system. Um, and it really, that looks like something I'd really like to check out. It's one of the first Sega Master System games that I've read about that makes me think, that looks like a really fun game. I, I, I guess it was kind of, in a sense, Sega's version of Contra. Like, I think of Contra as the big game like this for the NES. And so Sega got their version of Quartet. So kind of cool, cooking, cool looking game. Neat. I had no idea. No, you didn't, but now you do. I usually don't, though. <laughs> and now you know the rest of the oh, story. <laughs> and yet I still don't understand that whole uh, Project Diva arcade thing. <laughs> so might have read about the Master System, but I do not understand that Vocaloid stuff at all. <laughs> I get the feeling that, that if you chase down that rabbit hole, none of us will ever see you again. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I tried. I, I, I Twice I went researching it. I came out going, I don't. <laughs> I can't get my head around it, man, at all. I don't know what's going on there. So, all right. How'd you do? I did poorly. Now, here's the thing. I've got two scores to submit. One's my real oh. score. Oh, I see. And one's my later score. Because it's kind of not fair. So I don't know if this happened to you, but I played a bunch of times this week. And you can you can continue your game. So if you die, you can pop in a quarter and you keep going. It resets your score and you start again. So the score I got, the best I did from the beginning of the game is a much lower score that I was able to get later in the game. (laughs) So if we go from you begin the game level one, starting from zero the first time, which is how we play this thing. I'm just saying basically that I died just past the first door and 56,400 is all I could get. But, but I frequently got well over 200,000 like on my second play. On your second so quarter? The second, quarter? the second quarter is a much you who more never does, who only does one quarter and never continues? Well, because I kept playing the same level over <laughs> and over and you die and it's a game clearly designed to kill you and say, give me oh, another yeah. quarter. It's a game to, so I wanted to see, and I was enjoying it enough, I want to see more of the game. So that's a good thing. But I was like, come on, show me. And then always, like you have to sort of get through, you die, and the game says, okay, now let's get serious. I'll give you, if you're going to keep giving me the quarters, 
it's a, it's a two-way street. I'll give you some more scores. <laughs> so I would usually get over 200,000 on my second quarter. First quarter, though, best I did, 56,400, embarrassingly. What about you, Mike? Well, first quarter, uh, I did a little bit better than you, though, though not much. Uh, I typically got around 100,000 on the first quarter. Um, and the best I did on just one quarter was 115,600 points. Oh, man. And I didn't keep track of, of my... My multi-quarter score because I don't cheat like some uh, some other people around the, around this <laughs> podcast. I just I I just kept noticing that like I would look up and go, wow, look at that score. Oh, it doesn't count. It's my second quarter. It's my third quarter or whatever. And they were always so much higher. But there's something about like the second level essentially. Like you get through that first door, and I would just I would be I would be killed. I would just get hit so often. It's tough to take on this game single player. The arcade wants <laughs> there to be more people on the screen. Well, yeah, I think uh, I think you're right on with that. Um, I know that. I know I don't say that enough, Carrington. You're you're correct about. You don't say that enough. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's that's uh, accurate. And I I also think that the bonuses really tend to uh, multiply exponentially as you move up in levels. So if you make it to the third one, to the third door, your your scores go way, way, way up. It's sort of funny that, that it's they don't call it a high score list. Uh, they, they call it the, the super players, which is kind of cool. When you enter your scores, the high score list, it's a list of super players. It? Um, I didn't feel uh, very super with my scores, though. <laughs> well, that's okay. The uh, According to Twin Galaxies, the, the um, they have a bunch, of course, different scores here because you can play this different ways. You can play the two-player teams, three-player teams, whatever. But uh, I took a look. I, I think the one that, that probably most applies for the way we played it was the single-player only. For points, and number one was Kyle Faust. Cool name, Kyle. Uh, and that was done on May 28th, 2009, and he scored a grand total of 1,462,100 points. A lot of points. Yep. More than mine. You think you can do better next week? I almost certainly would have to, wouldn't I? <laughs> so uh, hit me. What does next week's game sound like? Why, it sounds like this. That sounds great. It does. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Over to you, Quinn. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I figured we would just insert that here. Sure. Okay.
Are we actually just going to sit in silence for that? Well, I, f- I figure we'll wait the amount of time we think. <laughs> the amount of time she would have. It's easier for me to edit that way. So, <laughs> shh, shh, be quiet.